Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master, and I'm a pastor here. Last week, my family, and we had this little getaway, and we had a guest speaker here, Amy Holly, who kicked off our series that we're calling I Have a Friend That. And what that blank is, is what we're covering this month, is what questions or unique situations that may arise based off of what we see our friends doing. And we just don't know what to do about it. So we're looking to the Bible to see how to address certain things. And with me being gone last week, Amy, who's spoken here many times at this church, I said, kind of, just go with whatever you want. Do whatever you want. It's fine. And if you were here, I think she knocked it out of the park. She did an awesome job talking about how to handle a situation with a friend who is making bad decisions. Here's what she tracked for us. Like, she kind of did a flow chart. Is this God's opinion? No, then you should leave it. I don't know. You should look to the Bible. And if it's yes, then as a follower of Jesus, you're to pray, love, stay humble. And you can speak up. But it was awesome. She did a really great job. It was a great message. But... She basically answered all of the friend scenarios I had planned for this entire series. (laughs) Topics like, I have a friend that does things I disapprove of, is thinking about divorce, is taking advantage of people, is negative. Like, put those in the flow chart she just gave us. Study the scripture on it, and voila, you got your answer. Thanks, Amy. So for today, I think we'll just pray and have the worship team come on back up here and close the service early. Said no pastor ever. Of course I have some new topics, right? (laughs) Honestly, after hearing Amy's message, it prompted some new topics uh, that I want to take a little deeper with some of the, the groundwork she already gave us with looking into how to handle tough situations like that. But before we do, I gotta ask you, has anyone ever bought furniture from this store before? Who has? Okay, how about this store? Okay, a a few of you. Um, You see the item online or in person and you're like, looks awesome and it's a great price, right? Let's say it's a chair or couch or whatever. And then it comes in a box like the size of this and you're like, that can't be right. Did I buy the kids version? Like, is this how it's going to feel with me? And then you open it up and somehow it has a gazillion pieces and directions and eventually in the assembly you get to a troubleshooting spot where you're like this and you're crying on the floor and something didn't go right. I think y'all have been there before, right? But honestly, we can usually assemble things. Whether it takes us longer than the estimated time or not is, is up to us. But it's the same thing when it comes to things in life. I think we can assemble things, whether it's furniture or relationships or decisions or plans. Starting isn't the hard part. When things in life, though, need to be repaired or require maintenance, now that, on the other hand, is when things get tough. Like, if we change gears a little bit, instead of talking about furniture, let's talk about tech devices for a second here. You get that new computer or phone or camera or tech thing all opened up, working amazingly. It's so awesome, right? But then, something happens. It turns off, it gets reset, and you cannot get that darn thing to work again. You need someone to help you, like the young person in your family. And if you're the millennial in the room right now, or, or are a millennial, or below in the room right now, you know it's usually you. 
You know, it's usually you in the family that's responsible for repairing it for everyone else because the thing everyone else only, the only thing everyone else knows how to do is the turn off, turn on, turn off, turn on, turn off, turn on about 10 times in a row to see if that fixes it. But if you are, just a little inside scoop, if you're of like the older crowd, not a millennial or older, who does that? I want to let you in on a little millennial secret. We don't really know how to fix it either. We just click around until things are fixed. Well, today we're talking about something that is hard to fix. We're talking about relationships. Starting and assembling relationships and friendships, it can be hard, but we can usually assemble them at some point or over a certain amount of time and get them together like an Ikea furniture piece. But to maintain and repair a relationship, as in hold on to a relationship with a friend or a family member or a neighbor or a coworker, is quite difficult for us. Let me give you a few stats to prove this to you. Research has been done and studies have found that 70% of our close relationships will end after seven years. Wow. Another research group, it pulled over... 530-ish some-year-olds, and they asked them the most significant factors in ending a friendship, or what, why did they end a friendship? And they responded with selfishness, people looking after their own interests, people weren't supportive of them, people were dishonest, or people were just taking without ever giving. They also said a big part, too, was people moving away. But let's just process those beginning statements to start. 70% of our relationships will be gone in seven years from now, primarily because we have disagreements, hurts, and priority shifts from the people that are in our life. This tells me we don't know how to repair or handle conflict in relationships. And if I just take us a little bit deeper on some of the research that's out there these days, relationships are hard. 52% of Americans report feeling lonely. 47% report their relationship with others is not meaningful. So what do we do with this? Again, this tells me we generally feel alone and we lose friendships often. As we think about this, can you relate a little bit? If so, is that really the life you want? One that doesn't get past the seven-year stretch in friendships or one that is alone or feels they don't really have good friendships. I don't know about you, but that sounds miserable. And if you agree, this tells me when we find a relationship worth being with, we have to get good at repairing them. So today, I want to talk about a specific recipe or direction God gives us to handle conflict or wrongs in a relationship. As in, I have a friend who has wronged me or sinned against me, or I have a friend that I have wronged or sinned against me. Because Y'all know like the I have a friend situations. I have a friend is really you sometimes, right? It's sometimes us. Fortunately, again, God has given us some very clear direction in the Bible, like almost prescriptive, yet many of us don't do it, myself included. I want to share a little bit of my, my experience with relationships for a second here. Relationships for me were really hard and awkward growing up. As a teenager, like I was super awkward. Uh, this is really embarrassing, so I, I don't love sharing this, but in dating situations when I was a teenager, I ghosted girls. I ghosted girls, which if you haven't heard that phrase before, it means I just disappeared. I stopped responding to them or talking to them. It seems I'd find something out about them, and I would not really give them a chance to respond or explain, 
and I would just ghost them. I'd leave. I'm not proud of this. I'm not promoting this. It's just ghosting was a very real option for me in handling conflicts. In my guy teenage friendships, it was significantly easier. Uh, Like for minor things, most of my friends were teammates with me on sports teams. uh, And if one of us wronged each other, we kind of would just pretend it didn't happen. And it would be fine. And or... Or, like, maybe it happened and you kind of knew it's, like, all good because you're, you're in a huddle and it was kind of like, let's go, and you slap him on the back, maybe a butt slap, and they're like, let's go, and you were good. But that's pretty much my guy friendships. Unless it was something more serious. And whatever happened then probably stung. So you kind of stopped including that person for a while. And maybe you got over it and kind of back to it, but maybe not. And you just stopped responding to their requests or their texts. You create your own theories on why they're maybe mad at you. And at that point, the relationship would most likely dissolve or blow up physically. Is usually kind of how my, my, my friendships happened, which probably means it's going to dissolve after the fact, right? Now, that was me in my teenage years. As I've aged into an adult, I started to feel, to feel when I sinned against others. And it hurt me knowing I would hurt others. Whether it was a little lie, I told them I'd feel that, like, oh, or that sarcastic put-down, or me expecting too much of them and them being hurt by that. So as a Christian, I sought forgiveness, and I'd say things like, yeah, sorry if I hurt you, sorry. Or the tone was usually, sorry, are are we good now? And we either would be, because that person was a mature Christian and like understood forgiveness and after a while just kind of forgave me, or the relationship seemingly would still end which has taught me there is way more to reconciliation in a relationship than simply saying the word sorry. We're going to see and learn all about this in the Bible in just a second here. But again, these examples were me. And it maybe seems a bit superficial or minuscule, or you might even be thinking, that's a very male-like approach to relationships, Aaron. I know, I get that. Some of the examples I shared are a little bit more male-like. But just know I'm raising daughters. I'm raising daughters, and I'm sure I, I've watched Mean Girls. I know how mean girls can be to each other. I'm being silly, but I do get things can vary substantially in relationships. Whether you're a teenager, an adult, a retiree, a male, a female, I think God's ways, as prescribed in the Bible, can help you with conflicts in your relationships. Whether your conflict that you're dealing with is maybe a lie about you. Maybe it's someone backstabbing you. Maybe it's an insult or thing someone said to you that was super hurtful. Maybe it's gossip or harshness or crudeness. Maybe it's things that were just mean and done to you. Maybe it was something embarrassing that someone pulled out of you. Maybe it was someone cheated you. Maybe someone hurt you in some way. Maybe someone broke your trust. Maybe someone didn't include you or diminished your value. These are the type of conflicts many of us deal with when it comes to relationships. As you think about these in your own relationships, what do you do? What do you do? Have your ways been effective? Have you lost friendships because of this? Or feel alone at times because of conflict? Could you use some God-given advice when it comes to relationships? If so, that's what we're going to address today. So enough with the problem sharing, Aaron, right? Like, let's get to some scripture, which is what we're going to do in just a second here. What I want to do is we're going to look at three chunks of scripture today 
that points us to what I think God wants in relationships. Two are teachings from Jesus, and the other is seeing how God approached a relationship with us. So for the next five minutes here, you're going to get like three mini-sermons today. You get a three-for-one. Yay! You're welcome for that. All right, so we're going to start with our first mini-sermon, and it starts in Matthew 5, 21, and it says this, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now you see this verse, and you might be like, whoa, murder? I am friends with murderers, Aaron. Like, you know, like those are not the type of relationship problems I have or that I'm dealing with. But then it says this. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Yee. Yee. Continues. It says, therefore, as in here's the response, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. God says, if you've wronged someone, it's more important for you to go and try to reconcile the relationship that you've wronged than it is for you to maybe worship or serve God in that moment. So that sermon number one's point, main point is go to them and attempt to make things right. Number two, let's do a sermon or mini sermon number two, Matthew 18, 15 to 17. It says this, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. The person, if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or corrupt tax collector. Wow, there's a lot in this passage, but I want to point out a few things that are specific to this. So first off, another believer. This is something you would use to another believer, another Christian, someone who is kind of on the same page with you in values. Sins, does something hurtful against you, harms you, something that is just like stirring inside you that hurts. You are to then go, is the third point, go to them privately, just you and them, and then point out the offense Point out where the hurt is. Not like a list of other things. Point out the hurt. And then with the intention to win that person back. To reconnect with them. That's the point of it. Number six, take one or two, three others with you. If it didn't work, bring two or three others that are going to help navigate the conversation. And then go back again to that person. And then it says, if that still doesn't happen, then you need the church. You need your life group. Maybe you need some counselor or a pastor, someone to kind of help, help navigate the conversation. And then if it still doesn't work, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector, as in someone who doesn't have influence over your life. Don't let that person influence your decisions and your thoughts. Wow, right? That's a lot of good stuff in there. But the main point, if I was to summarize sermon number two, go to them and attempt to make things right. Lastly, mini sermon three. This is what God did for the relationship with us. It's in Romans 5, 10 through 11. It says, For if while we were God's enemies, as in the one who have wronged God, as we're the enemies, we've wronged God, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is saying... God sent Jesus to die for us 
to attempt to reconcile the relationship between us and him, even though we offended him. Well, if we have that understanding and that mindset of how God approached relationships, Philippians 2.5 says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Ugh. So the main point for mini sermon three, have the mindset of Jesus and go to them and attempt to make things right. Even as the pastor of this church, I'll be the first to say, this stinks. This stinks. This is so counterintuitive to the way we live, right? Like, really, God? You want me to reconcile with my enemies and those who have wronged me? But if we look to kind of like our three mini-sermons on how to handle being wronged or when you've wronged others, essentially, if you're following along, we are too. Go to them and attempt to make things right. Go to them and attempt to make things right. Have the mindset of Jesus and go to them and attempt to make things right. That short list... It's not foggy. It's not confusing on what you need to do, like an IKEA assembly instruction kit. It's cut and dry of what you need to do. But it's extremely difficult. Extremely difficult and not something we're good at. So what I want to do for our remaining time together today is get really practical. What steps can you and I take to actually make this biblical prescription happen? Because I want my relationships reconciled. I want friendships that last beyond seven years. I don't want to feel or be alone. I want to be obedient to God. And I'm guessing you do too for at least one of those statements. So applying these three teachings from Scripture to our relationships and specifically to our friends who have wronged us or who we have wronged, we first need to have a heart for restoration. Anyone get excited about another person's junk? Okay, that maybe sounds awkward, but I'm specifically talking about broken junk. Someone else's broken junk. You're like, ooh, I'll take that. Who's like that? Okay, none of you. Just me. Okay. Uh, the hoarder in me gets so excited about free stuff. Who likes free stuff? No one? We're done giving free stuff here. We're done. <laughs> um, in my hometown, we used to have like the big garbage pickup days where people would put their junk on the side of the road. Uh, not junk to me. It was amazing stuff. They put the stuff on the side of the road where you could pick it up and take it. You could take it. Or in other words, like they just put it out there to dispose of it. Like what? This is not a rummage sale? Are you serious? And man, it was so hard for me not to drive by with my truck and fill it up with stuff I don't need. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I need that in 15 years. I better pick it up now. I better store that thing. If that wasn't that, like picking up junk on someone's road or on the side of the road, it's browsing Craigslist for free stuff. Anybody done this before? Anybody super excited that I just shared this amazing news to you? That there is a spot you can look for free stuff on Craigslist. Yeah, you're welcome for that. All right, maybe it's not that. But in Fond du Lac here, per capita... We have like 10 thrift shops, 10 like thrift stores. I think that's more than most cities, period. Per capita, we have a, an insane amount of thrift shops. Y'all are shopping at these, obviously, or otherwise 10 of them would not exist. But for all of these like situations or scenarios, there's something about restoring that excites a lot of us, right? Whether it's stuff or houses or cars or situations or projects or organizations or people restoration is exciting and it's also the theme that is woven throughout the entire bible 
Restoration, it's defined as, as the action of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. It's bringing it back to what it was formerly. Literally, the Bible is about God trying to restore our relationship with Him. As humans, we broke the relationship with God by choosing to do our own thing over Him. So continuously, He tries to restore it for us. Whether it's with the first humans in Genesis and, and caring for them, even in their disobedience. Whether it's through God, like sending kings and judges to put people on the right path and guide them. Whether it's giving commandments of giving people rules and guidelines of how to live so that they just know and can follow those to get close to God. Whether it's through rescuing people from their hardships and then leading them out. Maybe it's sending through prophets or teachers to tell people how to get back on track. And then finally through sending Jesus. God is continually trying to bring the relationship relationship back to reconciliation through the bible you cannot miss seeing the theme of god pursuing us and attempt to restore the relationship yet with all this said who's done the wrong us who have we done the wrong against god even though we are enemies of god he has a heart and mindset for restoration in relationship with us and if philippians 2 5 is right philippians 2 5 it says in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. It brings us to a real question today. Do we have that mindset? Do you have that mindset with the people you disagree with? That one that hurt you? That one that said that thing? That one you just dislike? If we don't have a mindset for restoration and you're a Christian in the room, we have some work to do. We have some work to do. Romans 12, 9 through 10, it says this. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. This verse, it's showing us what people with a restoration mindset should do. We aren't to be fake, it says. Don't pretend. Actually love. Really love them. To love them doesn't mean you have to agree with them. To love them doesn't mean you have to like, uh, like affirm everything they're doing. We can hate what is wrong. We can hate what is evil or hurtful that they do, as the verse says. But it says, hold tight to what is good. What's that good that you see in that person? That they're a creation of God? That they have the capacity to do good maybe in the future? So to love them is to give them genuine affection. Like care for them as a human should be treated. Find joy in honoring them as a human being. Joy in respecting them. You might hear this and see that verse and realize, I don't think I have that. I don't think I have a mindset for love or a posture of re restoration. Again, if that's you right now, I get it. I get it, actually, because I've been there. And to be real with you, I still go there sometimes in my relationships. But if that's you, you and I have work to do. Check out what scripture says, 1 John 2, 9. If anyone claims I'm living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Eee. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. When I don't love or have a posture for restoration... I am still living in darkness or not proving my following of Jesus. So if that's real for us, what can we do? Again, I always want to get really practical here on Sunday. So realistically, how can we start getting ourselves to do that? 
especially when we feel we're in conflict with some like villain like we feel like that person has hurt us like this like a Voldemort or Joker or Darth Vader or whatever it is we feel that that person which just irks us what you can realistically do to start loving them is don't see yourself too highly Romans 12, 3, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. When you start doing that, you'll see that the other person isn't that bad. When you start reflecting on who you really are. Second thing, maybe pray for them. Start praying for them. You've heard it said, it says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. To pray for someone means to give it to God, to allow God to be in the mix with your relationship, for God to oversee what happens for that person. And third thing, encourage them. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, it says, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Find something you can praise about that person. It might be small. It might be just really little to start. But find something. Thir- uh, fourth one, rely on God's power within you to forgive. Be kind and compassionate is what Ephesians says with one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. There are some unimaginable things that I know have happened to some of you through other people. And as I think about it for myself, I don't think I could forgive that person. I don't. But maybe God's power within me, I could. Maybe you need to rely on that. You need to focus on that. The last one, follow the command of God. Philippians 2, 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Maybe you just need to do it by being obedient. This is what God wants, so I'm going to start doing it in some capacity by being obedient to God. Again, this is a short list of just ideas. But if you don't love or have a heart for restoration, you have work to do. Especially because the next thing we need to do is do everything on your end to reconcile the relationship. God set the bar pretty high for us, like through his actions of how we should care for another. He set the bar extremely high. As you attempt to reconcile people you've wronged, or again, even the people who have wronged you, don't have regrets on reconciliation. There's this viral video that kept popping up on my my feet or whatever, uh, all week long, and I just couldn't stop laughing at it. And I think it like, really applies to this concept of going full on for reconciliation. It'll take some explanation afterwards, but check out this video. It's about 45 seconds long. I wouldn't want to be that last swimmer. This otter kind of getting on the, the platform and then jumping off and jumping in. But the reason I wanted to show this is the commitment of these guys is all in, right? As in, they're either all in the water getting away from this otter, or they're all on the raft, or all in trying to be the fastest swimmer back to shore. Whether it's right or not, none of these guys were halfway kind of, oh, I think I might try to stay on the raft or kind of shoot this thing away in some capacity. They were all in. 
And I think that's the same type of mentality God wants from us in trying to reconcile relationships, being all in. Again, we, we saw reconciliation as, as part of those many sermons. First, go and be reconciled to them. That's something we should do. We should try to win the person back. Are you all in of trying to make that happen? If the relationship it doesn't get better by your attempt on that, it's okay. It's okay. We can't force reconciliation onto another person. We can't force a person to forgive us or want to still be friends with us or even just be nice to us. We can't force those things. God can't even force that reconciliation onto us if we don't want it. Again, we saw Romans 5.11, like it says, we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation isn't available to anyone, but some of us choose not to have it. So when it comes to reconciliation, we should have no regrets if we're following God's example. Nothing holding us back in our attempt to make things right with others. And that means doing some things that maybe come across quite strange compared to what others do or how others live. Romans 12, 14, it kind of starts kind of how this should be. It says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. I love that ending. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. It's so true in our posture as a Christian of how, if we're really trying to live like Jesus, we should be full go towards reconciliation. But if I'm real with you, as Christians, or if you are a professing Christian today, I think we're really good at halfway reconciliation, myself included. When I'm not happy with someone, there's no hiding it. There's no hiding it. Like, I feel really bad for my wife at home because I do a lot of this. <sighs> Pacing, heavy sighs, <sighs> arms crossed. I do a lot of this too. Like lip stuff. I don't even know what it is, but like. <sighs> you know, the, like the, this is what I do. Uh, I, and when it's not me throwing a fit at my wife, because <laughs> that happens too at home, my wife will usually respond as she sees me do these things. What's wrong? What's wrong? And I'll explain this kind of the situation and she'll be like, well, have you forgiven them? I'll be like, who's the pastor here? Yes! Yes, I have! And then she'll usually say, well, now it's over. Now it's over. Let it go. But I'm waiting on them! I'm waiting on their part. Have you been there with something like this before? You forgave them, but then we sit back, arms crossed, and it's like, I'm waiting on their move for full reconciliation. But is that really an attempt to full peace? I want to just plant this question in your mind for a second here as we're running out of time today. But if you're sitting there waiting for them, holding back reconciliation from them, maybe arms crossed, maybe not. If that's what you're doing though, are you potentially just as bad or offensive to them as maybe they were to you originally? I don't know about you, 
But when I see two people with arms crossed, it doesn't look that much different than like a UFC setup of like this. It doesn't look that much different. Again, whether you're the offender or the offended, as a Christian, you are to do everything on your end to reconcile the relationship. And what that means is getting to our last point. How we do that is we're to go to them. Go to them. This is our most practical, clear, and straightforward step of all, but it's the hardest. I want to look at Matthew 18 again and read it for you. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Again, this is extremely practical, but there are some specifics it points out that we must do if we want God's guidance in relationships. The first one is this, go to them. Go to them. This is in person that you are to go to them. Not some text message or email or letter. Not through some other person of what they said. Not through some group meeting or like kind of out loud or, or like passively like aggressive. It's to be in person. And then it's also to be private is what it says. Privately. Not to be addressed with your group or club. Not to be gossiped about beforehand. Not to be in public to shame that person publicly it's private is what that passage says if you're nervous about doing that because maybe that person really offended you and hurt you in a way it can be a public place it's just a private conversation but it's meant to be handled between just you and that other person to keep that other person's reputation what it should be because again, you're about restoration. If you're a Christian, you're about restoration. So when you go to meet this person, the goal is that, restoration. Which is the third thing. Go with the intention to reconnect. Not to make your case, not to hurt them back, not to show them that they're wrong or to drag them through the mud or to bring up every little thing they've done and bad in the past, but attempt to address the hurt and fix it so the relationship can be reconciled. Honestly, I think if we did those three steps, I think it would solve like 90% of our conflicts. But then, if it still hasn't, after you might need to bring some of your life group along, or Christian brother or sisters, have a pastor help you handle a tough situation and navigate the conversation. These are steps that many of us rarely do. We live today in a cancel culture worlds where you're just out we ghost people we love to talk or stir the pot about the situation but rarely go to the person and this is why i think many of our relationships don't last past seven years as a church or a follower of god let's not have that happen for us whether you're the offended offender you are to go to them to close today, I want to do something quite different than what we normally do. Normally we pray for God to give us prompting on the thing that we need to work on this week. And I hope you maybe got something from the message this week that you need to do and live on. But I want us to say a specific prayer today. And I think you're going to be a little angry at me when, when I put it up on the screen in a second here. But I want us to take it seriously and really think for a second. Throughout today, I'm sure 
there have been people who have come to mind for you as we've talked about people who maybe have offended you or that you've offended and that you're considering pursuing reconciliation with. Today, if that's you, I want you to pray this with me. Heavenly Father, help me to love blank like you do. Help me to feel towards that person what you feel. Who's that person for you? I want to pray right now, and I'll pray that, and I'll say the words, and you can say that person's name in your mind, and then I'll close this out. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, help me to love like you do. Help me to feel towards what you feel. Help us reconcile our relationships the way you intend and have the same mindset as Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.